0: insights into esg a new podcast series brought to you by kpmg and the crown dependencies earlier this year we launched kpmg impact bringing together new and existing esg commitments under one umbrella in each episode we'll discuss the many different aspects of esg with our guests how they're reacting to the challenges and how they are adapting to the new business environment around them welcome to the kpmg insights into esg podcast I'm Harry Briggs, an Associate Director in the Jersey Office of our Crown Dependencies firm, and as part of our KPMG Impact Initiative, we're taking a look at ESG through different lenses over this series. And today I'm joined by Professor Michael Manelli, Sheriff of the City of London and Chairman of XIEN. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you?
1: Well, good afternoon as well, Harry, and it's nice to be here with
0: your listeners on, on the KPMG radio. Fantastic. So I've asked you on today to talk about the Global Green Finance Index that XIEN publish. But why don't we start by just explaining what XIEN is and what what you guys actually do?
1: XIEN is a commercial think tank based in the city of London. We've been going over a quarter of a century now. And we typically operate where technology and finance uh, meet and very often with social purpose. Uh, We do a lot of technical research, including scientific R&D as well as uh, computing R&D. We do a lot of financial things. We've been behind the London Accord and a number of ESG initiatives, and we love it when things come together. Um, We publish three well-known indices, the Global Financial Centers Index, which rates uh, over 110 centers globally. We publish the Global Green Finance Index, which we'll be speaking about. We also publish the Smart Centers Index. That's probably what we're known for, but it's about 5% of our turnover, and the bulk of what we do is thinking and research.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay, so turning to the, the Global Green Finance Index, the GGFI. So this um, ranks over 100 different financial centres based on their depth and quality of the green finance offering. Could you just talk us through like, how the index is actually compiled, what your, your process is, um, and then maybe also explain to us just what, what's meant by depth and quality? Sure.
1: I'll take that in three bits if I might. I, I mean, the first is just to back up a second, and just explain why we did it in the first place. Um, we had been running the Global Financial Center's indices since uh, uh, really since 2005. And we had put a proposal together for a green finance index uh, a year or two after that, 2006 or 2007. Uh, but it wasn't really until MAVA foundation this is a swiss foundation that's behind wwf stepped up and said that they'd like to sponsor getting it going and they sponsored the first five editions and it was an enormous help really to to get the index up and running and we still seek uh, sponsorship if uh, people are interested as mava has stepped away Um, and the idea really was to build on this idea that if centers financial centers around the world mean green uh that they should be measured on it so we're measuring them on the overall but on the green subject as well and as you go around the world and talk to financial centers they have a fairly uh fairly stock set of strategic responses they would like to get into uh, technology and smarts Uh, they would like to be leaders in regulation they would like to uh, look at areas of, say, ethical or Sharia finance, and they also want to be green. So there's a kind of a stock thing there. And green is cool. very high on every list, and that's nice to see. So we thought we would rate it. The approach that we use is very similar, uh, virtually identical to the one that we use for the Global Financial Centers Index. This is what's called an instrumental factor index. It's something, uh, an approach that we created some time ago. Uh, And the reason for the approach is that we were trying to rate a number of centers without getting into too much detail of talking to people. Traditional indices uh, prior to that had typically gone out and interviewed people and said, Mm -hmm. do you think that London is better than uh, New York or Frankfurt or Paris? But there's a limit to how how efficient you can be uh, in that process. The second thing is that we were looking at comparing centers over time, longitudinal research and we wanted to base it on some facts. So the approach is uh, becoming more popular in the social sciences. We're pleased to have started it. And the idea is that we use statistical engines, in our case, a support vector machine approach for those who are interested. We use statistical engines to correlate a whole bunch of instrumental factors, about 120 uh, for centers, with people's opinions. And so the idea here is that we can predict what you might say. Our typical respondent will answer for about nine of the centers, which is quite reasonable. Uh, we don't want people who've got no comparison of centers, but anybody who claims to know all 110 and be able to rate them is a better man than I could ever be. Yeah. Uh, and so what we sort of say here is hey, Harry, you've rated uh, 11 centers, um, and you work in the insurance sector, and you claim that you're interested in these things. So we've got parameters about you here is what you would have said about the other 99 centers you didn't you didn't you didn't come to and this is using this, basically the same techniques that we see as amazon tries to present us with the next product that we'd like we basically guess uh what you would have said about the other centers based on what you've done and that smooths things out um, okay. uh, the biggest benefit for this uh, is that uh, the community is providing the weightings not cn so we don't go in and say that the amount of green bonds is more important than the number of listed companies or, or anything else. The community is providing that weighting. I must say it's pretty scary <laughs> when we back test it. And I've put myself in as a guinea pig. If I answered for 11 centers, we'll often take the 11 center out and say to the machine, what would Michael have said about that center? And it's typically within one point of. Uh, on on a ten point scale, which is you know, kind of frightening that it it knows about yeah. centers I know.
0: You okay. asked about
1: the depth and quality. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. Just just before we we go into that, Michael, just uh, coming in there. So you're extrapolating um, the, the respondents' answer set to the other financial centers. How many underlying respondents do you actually have that you're using to extrapolate from?
1: Well, we we get um, several thousand submissions um, every six months. It comes out six monthly, um, and then in addition to as I say, the average respondent answers. I think it's nine at the moment. So you can multiply that So it's it's a fairly authoritative index. Of course, it's spread across the world, so it that thins it out a little bit. But it's it, it's really quite good. Uh, we 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 don't count in that uh, responses that we reject. So, for example, uh, indicative of what I said earlier, if you answer only about two centuries, you really don't have a point of comparison that our system can mock into. So we're looking for people with three or more uh, responses. And obviously, if you answer for all, you, your response is kind of, well, fine. But it, it's probably close to mad because the a human being trying to keep that type of consistency across 110 selections is close to nil um but yeah it's, it's a it's a it's a it's a fairly authoritative one yeah and we're hoping to grow it so if any of your listeners wish to go to greenfinanceindex.net they can they can submit to their own um their own their own uh, questionnaire
0: okay so so the index then is you know driven off the data of several thousand respondents that's that's pretty impressive, right? If you take a typical kind of consultant survey or report, you know, you'd know you be less than 100. So this is quite a significant data set you've got here for this index, isn't it? Okay. Um, sorry, yeah. So we were going to go on just to explain what, what was meant by uh, depth and quality in the index. Yeah. Now, our, our um, Global Financial Centers Index
1: uh, rates people on a single scale. Um And then we break that down. There's a lot of free analysis for anybody in terms of uh, sectoral analysis, uh, key strengths, positioning, I I won't go into that. But when we started the green finance index, we began to realize that there was a a bit of a distinction here between places that were green in the sense that they looked green uh, and places that were financially green. And we began to realize that there was a relationship between those two, which was something we wanted to explore. So we, we decided that this index would, would uh, try and tease out the notion of depth versus the notion of quality. Um, we will be merging these quite soon because we think the sector has matured a fair bit. Um, but the original edition, depth sort of meant uh, when I went to the center, how much did they walk the talk? So you yeah. could be quite a center. Um, but you were also green in other aspects. So firstly, I come to you for advice, um, say on a loan, and the first thing you point out is the environmental aspects of the loan as well. I go, oh, that's interesting. Uh, I was in some other center, and that only came up because I raised it. Uh, you also see uh, certain centers, you know, Scandinavian centers, Swiss centers, where uh, they themselves are living the green talk in the center itself. So that's the kind of depth element. Uh, and the second big quality was the quality of advice that you received. So you could go to a center that was burning brown coal and uh, full of uh, full of nasty people who only at the very, very end, when you raised it, decided to talk about the environment or ESG issues. But the advice you got was darn good. Um, and this would apply to many centers. London, which has a high coal intensity on its stock exchange and a few other things. I'm not clear, Obviously, I'm promoting London, and I think it's very, <laughs> very good. But you know, people do make these arguments—the high fossil fuel content. Yes, but I got ex- excellent advice in London, so that's the quality aspect.
0: Okay, understood, understood. So I've been into the um, latest edition of the report. Which I think we're on the the sixth edition now. Um, and I had a, a look at the the Crown Dependencies rankings within there, um, and just at a high level, it looks like we've got Guernsey in the lead on both measures, followed by Jersey, followed by the Isle of Man. I think one of the interesting things I noticed comparing the, the rankings in the sixth edition to the previous edition, they've, with the exception actually of, of quality of advice in, in Guernsey, they've all declined down the rankings. So I was just wanting to dive into why that might be. And I guess my hypothesis is that's more about other centres climbing up the rankings than it is necessarily about anything to do with the the islands that's sort of made them drop. So is, it, is that kind of fair?
1: You're you're absolutely correct. So um, when when we begin to look at um, at the various rankings, it's really because other people are piling in um, above, rather than the centers are doing more poorly. So that's on the ranking, and in fact we can see that because the rating, which is how they're doing in a in an absolute sense, is, is stable or rising. So it's rank versus rating, and on the rank it's going down. Um, and a lot of that's due, if I can be frank, to the rise and rise of green around the world very, very rapidly. <laughs> um, I'll give you some examples in a second. So, um, uh, But you know, it, it, the, one, the one reason for Guernsey, of course, is Guernsey has taken a deliberate decision to focus on green uh, and to, to launch various standards on green and to promote. And in fact, uh, the G, uh, GFI coming out is highly likely to have a supplement from Ger- Ger- Guernsey, sorry, uh, where they talk about some of the activities that they've undertaken. So a combination of marketing and focus, I think, is is helping Guernsey to rise above uh, the Isle of Man, uh, Jersey, and I might even throw in Gibraltar uh, in terms of ground dependencies. So that, that's absolutely correct. But the, the but the rise around the world is impressive. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. points point. Um, when I, I, I've been traveling to China since 1983, I think, uh, and speak a bit of Chinese. And one of the problems as I got back to the West and the climate change debates were going, particularly uh, during the 2000s when we were leading uh, the London Accord uh, and a number of other huge initiatives on the investability of climate change in the city, was people would say, Well, it doesn't really matter because China's so big and it's burning coal. Isn't that a horrible thing? And I would say, Well, maybe you haven't been reading the signs. Because on all the hillsides I'd go to, et cetera, in China, there were genuine concerns about the environment. It's one of the areas the authorities almost permit people to uh, protest about if you know somebody's seen polluting a river or what have you. And I remember sitting next to a premier at one dinner, and he said to me, you know, is it true the skies are still blue in the West? Uh, this is a while back. And he said, and that's what we want, uh, the, the correlation between blue skies, which our people want and uh, and the climate change aren't that far apart so Mm. china's into this and the biggest announcement of course is at the beginning of this month china launched a national emissions trading scheme Uh, it's had some local ones and now they've bounded in uh, to a giant national scheme Uh, and that's very equivalent to the eu and this is just at the time that britain has left the eu somewhat in a shambles over what it's doing on on emissions trading so we've seen this enormous rise of all the chinese centers uh, and I've gone and visited um, the various green finance centers that do exist and have existed for some years in China, in places like Nanjing um, and Xi'an and uh, Chengdu. So you, you you begin to see that that's one element of it. The second has been um, other centers in Asia. I don't want to just focus on China, yeah. uh, particularly Singapore ha- has an enormous program ongoing green. And, and as you begin to reach out and you start, start t- taking away some of the uh, Western European uh, type views you begin to see that actually these places are rising in the ranks because they are doing
0: real things. Yeah there's real depth to what they're doing which is coming through and that's quite interesting. So I mean I guess that brings me to my next question as well so if a financial centre was looking to improve its ranking there's really no way of manipulating this because you somehow have to penetrate into several thousand respondents who are all geographically spread right? I would say you can't break
1: it, <laughs> but um, I, I'd also like to encourage people to fill it in. Um, so I'm a bit torn here, <laughs> but let me, uh, let, let me explain uh, sort of two things. Uh, one is uh, about some of the attacks that we do get on our various indices. Uh, we, we did in the early days have 1,200 students uh, sitting in a university somewhere in Asia, hitting the button every day saying that, they were number 1 the city was number 1 and of course again you know, we, we throw that out we we throw it out very politely we don't know that it's a student in asia being paid to 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 bombard our index but we we send back saying that was very kind of you to fill it in thank you very much but one response just doesn't work so you need to have a you need to have multiple responses it's a hard questionnaire to uh to gain that way um, okay. but then we move into the, the two elements that do matter and, and the first is, as I always say to people, what you really want is a fair ranking. So by all means, encourage people, not in your jurisdiction perhaps, who know you to fill in what they think about you and how you're performing. It's better to start with the right facts than to try and gain the index. Having done that, you can then turn to the 120 instrumental factors and work on them. Uh, and one of the intriguing things about an index uh, done in the instrumental factor way is that unseen to most of the people, we can determine what what is the reputational advantage or disadvantage of a center. Because we're looking at what people would have rated centers like if they didn't know, we can distinguish that from how people did rate them. And there is, uh, you know, a bias towards centers with with good names. So, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I would probably give Copenhagen or Amsterdam a higher green rating on some social constructs. Mm. But that doesn't mean I'm I'm doing that because I've got any detailed knowledge of them going up or down in the last six months on, on that. So impressions matter. And as I also say to the centers, when you've got a high reputational advantage, that sounds good, but it basically means people would have rated you lower if they didn't know your name. So if I had gone to them and said... Here's a place that's got X number of green bonds, X number of people working in green finance, X number of people in insurance, uh, a good transportation network, a low murder rate. These are all things that do feature in there. Um, how would you rate it? And I, and I say, well, actually, I, I'd rate it X, you know, 600. Uh, and yet it's Amsterdam at 700. You go, well, how, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because of that reputation. And they can overtrade. Um, and for a century effectively negative, uh, then you can say it's a marketing issue. (laughs) So when you've got a disadvantage, tend towards marketing, always tend towards improving. (laughs) But when you've got a reputational advantage, you you better start quickly uh, putting your money where your mouth is, you know, walking the talk. And a good example of this was we, we had a North American city Um, a few years ago. And we said to them, you have a reputational disadvantage. And they said, what should we do? And we said, well, you know, we did a little bit of a survey. uh, and We found out that what basically people say is boring. So so they went on a big marketing spree and they rose. and They were very proud of it. They were going to pour more money into marketing. Uh, And when we examined the data, we said, well, hang on a minute here. Uh, People actually don't believe you're very green because when they get uh, to your airport, they take a, you know, a belching taxi. Uh, to their home well we're very very green we do a lot of green finance i said yeah but 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 you're over trading at the moment you need to you need to you need to bolster some of that with uh, uh, with real action
0: so that's quite interesting particularly around um the activities in in guernsey over the last couple of years with the guernsey green finance kind of initiative so i guess what you're saying is that's going to penetrate into some of the respondents um, rankings but also it can actually be a a bit of a risk if you arrive on the island and you end up in a sort of diesel spewing bus or something so you need to sort of bring that depth back and substance to it as well Mm. okay Uh, the islands have got uh, i'm a bit of an island
1: freak (laughs) i sail a lot and i've sailed to all of the channel islands and to the isle of man and uh, um but i also visit them professionally um And I do not like beaches, so that's It's not me in the tropics or anything. I I just like going to islands. Islands have got a tremendous opportunity to be green. You've got an isolated, controlled area, et cetera, but uh, most of them don't take it because it involves large infrastructure investment uh, for a long Mm. period of time, and islands are are depleted in many ways in that regard. Um, So, you know, you see so many islands which are green and luscious and beautiful, and once a week, you know, the diesel ship comes steaming in. And it would be interesting to see uh, what sort of pressure the world is going to sort of take on that. In many of the tropical areas, there's been talk of OTEC, uh, ocean thermal, for well, well, well over 75 years. Uh, in fact, I think the original stuff was in the 1880s or something uh, done by the French. Uh, we've had lots of talk about solar panels and wind uh, I think islands are going to have to start grasping that. And I do think it's probably in their long-term interest, it re- reduces a major dependency that uh, makes them green um, and, and it's probably got to be for the good.
0: I think um, you hit the nail on the head there when you talked about the the scale of infrastructure spend that that would require, um, which does sort of segue quite nicely onto the, the second area that I wanted to discuss with you, which is policy performance bonds. So you've literally written the book on this one um, so maybe if we start by just uh asking you to introduce what policy performance bonds are um a bit of background to them and then we can
1: go further. well harry it's very kind of you to, to, to allow me to cover that um policy performance bonds were really to try and uh, an opportunity that we came up with uh nearly 15 years ago when we were looking at how people viewed green finance so if you step back a second you got to say What's so special about green finance? you know we we, we don't have shoelace finance we don't have uh, <laughs> uh, we, we don't have finance on cows it's a it, it, why is this a special area and as you cut through it uh, for the sake of your listeners, it's basically government policy risk. this is an area of high policy risk if government changes its policies, you have problems and we've seen this in in uh, germany with the energy we saw it very pointedly in spain when the solar subsidies were removed the uk government has been guilty of flip-flopping on everything uh um, you can think about it personally we, we were all doing diesel cars in europe because they were good things suddenly they're a bad thing and now mm-hmm. i'm going to have to pay a supplement this year in london if i have a diesel car that's only five years old so Governments flip-flop a lot and yet they expect us to make these very long-term infrastructure investments of 25 or 30 years and so when the green bond movement came out I pointed out to the green bond movement which which I support that actually The sovereign bonds are equal to slightly larger than all of the corporate bonds in issue So so why aren't you looking at green bonds for sovereigns and what might a green bond for a sovereign be? Well, so far, uh, and there have been over 20 announcements with the UK joining the list of announcements uh, in November, hopefully trying to get it out before COP. All of these are what you might call use of proceeds bonds. So I've got a big list of projects. I will use this money. Well, from a government's point of view, at 0% interest rates. Why are you doing it? You're doing it for PR and marketing purposes. You're not doing it because it's really going to change much. In fact, if anything, it might hold green projects back. Because you come forward with a project that might be green, and the government says, wait a minute, that can wait till we have our next green bond. Uh, meanwhile, even though it's a good investment. Um, and so it, it's not necessarily the right thing to do. So, our proposal was that we would have um, bonds that were tied with their interest rates to governmental performance. Um, there are many ways you could do it, the price of petrol uh, emissions or whatever. But it does seem to be emerging a standard of the idea of governments making proclamations that they will be net carbon zero by 2050. So that's 29 years away, 3.45% uh, a year or whatever. And you could just say, well, you know, next year if I've knocked 3.45% off my emissions, then uh, I don't pay any interest. But let's say I've only knocked 2.45% off. I will pay 1%, et cetera. So uh, very similar, very, very similar to an inflation-linked bond, which we may be seeing more of quite soon as well. Um, uh, inflation-linked bonds work the same way. I tell you my target's 2%, and I pay percentage points above it. Um, this didn't get much favor until recently with governments, as you can imagine. Uh, the idea of having to deliver what they promise is is terrifying to anybody. Uh, <laughs> But we did get an approach by the French government about uh, about 10 years ago. They nearly came close to signing with one of the major French banks, and we, we were helping them. Uh, and then it, it came, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we sign this, we, we will be bound to our targets. That's the way it works. Uh, and they demurred. However, the French did come back very sweetly um, after their COP uh, in Paris in 2016 and asked me uh, to write a piece for their Um, uh, for effectively uh, their think-tank blog for the government and then came back and asked me and my colleague Jalil Bouzidi to write a book in French. uh, Something I hope never to repeat because it takes about four times as long to write it. But this this French booklet uh, went out and popularized the idea. Uh, amongst uh, a whole host of people, and you saw a raft of them: uh, Danone, Louis Vuitton, uh, issuing them. Then later, Enil, and this is spread. Um, it goes by different terms. Uh, so there's sustainability-linked bonds, performance incentive bonds, and policy performance bonds. It kind of it's all the same thing, tying the interest rate to the target. And this does away uh, with a lot of the jobs of the boys and girls of rating the bond and whether or not it's really green or and focuses on the outcome as opposed to where the proceeds will be spent. It says I don't care where you spend the proceeds, but you darn well better achieve that target. Um, and now we're starting to see uh, some genuine sovereign interest in them because these would distinguish process bonds from uh, delivery bonds.
0: Yeah. Um, so this is um, sort of thinking about the islands, and this is. Potentially, a mechanism that, that could be used by them in order to bring in that kind of infrastructure that's needed to achieve a net zero target?
1: It, it would be an amazing statement for any sovereign, particularly now, a real ability to distinguish yourself um, and, and to be realistic about the targets you're, you're, you're going to hit. Uh, it offers a few other advantages, too. I think uh, in, in the near term, uh, it actually will drive, we believe, more investment in because the larger scale portfolio managers have to hedge. Remember that whatever they say, big, big pension fund portfolios aren't there to outperform the market. They're there to track it. They're there to make sure our savings, they're not trying to beat the market. But when it comes to green and ESG issues, that means that they will follow what everybody else does because they're unable to hedge that out of their portfolio. These types of bonds would allow you to actually take a hedge uh, and up, up until COVID, and the numbers are shifting rapidly all over the place, and basically, large portfolios were hedging at about eight to one. In other words, eight, 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 eight times as much investment as fossil fuels against one in green, and that's what they were doing because that tracked the economy. Uh, with something like this, you could say, well, I've, I've been able to lock it off, but that's because the governments have made this outrageous promise that all these fossil fuel assets will be worth zero in 29 years. And, yeah, but what if they don't? Well, no, I I can hedge that because they've totally committed to it. And so you would buy these bonds in proportion, effectively, to the amount you mistrusted the government. Uh, And some of the decisions, for example, uh, the decision a a few weeks ago on a Cumbrian coal mine, uh, uh, whatever the planning issues are, I don't know. And I wasn't party to the decision. But you would, from the outside, question it not on why are we running COP? uh 26 in glasgow and opening a coal mine in the same year that's a pr issue we should be actually asking as a as a naive onlooker that's funny how, how are they going to recover on on the investment in a large scale infrastructure project in 29 years that's a rarity so uh i'd like to bring it back to the finance and less of the pr and the esg and the green labels on the annual reports
0: that's really interesting um we're running out of time i mean i feel like we could uh Talk about this all day, but unfortunately, we've only got a few minutes. So, I think, um, unless there's any final words, are, are, are we going to see a seventh Ggfi come out anytime soon? Yes, uh, well, well
1: remembered. Thanks. for helping <laughs> with advertising. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, GFCI comes out next month, and uh, Ggfi uh, Global Green Finance Index will be coming out in April, um, and like to make your opinions known again greenfinanceindex.net the questionnaire is there and you can take it and you can also browse all the materials virtually everything is published and available to your listeners
0: brilliant well michael there's some really interesting food for thought in that discussion so thank you very much for coming on and and talking to me about it um and thank you to all our listeners too um say goodbye for now and tune in for the rest of our series thank you Harry. If you'd like to learn more about KPMG Impact or discuss your ESG business needs with our team, please visit our website and the link in the podcast summary. Thank you for listening. See you next time.